0: This may be a first. I don't remember us breaking out and clapping so many times in one Sunday. So um, God is good. And what we just sang about I surrender all that we could clap throughout whatever we're surrendering to and submitting to. Yes, Lord, let it be. We're going to be continuing our sermon series on a life of joy and looking at the book of Philippians. And so we're going to be in Philippians one. Starting at verse 12 today, so you have a page number, Joni? What? 1823, if you're using the Bible in the chair. And so before I read God's word, let me pray and ask him to illuminate that. Lord, would you open our ears and open our minds and our hearts to receive your word? Lord, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word the preaching of your word, Lord, that our lives would bring glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Philippians 1, starting with verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, That I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is God's word for us this morning. I um, heard a news story. Maybe some of you caught it this week as well. This is a time of graduations. And ceremonies, and this was just a really inspirational story about a graduation. A young man named Marty O'Connor. He is a quadriplegic. He had a tragic accident, a fall back in 2010. And um, while he was in physical therapy five days a week, he um, had a goal. He, he felt like that he was supposed to set a goal that he would go back to school, go back, continue college, and get his master's in business. And he said that as he was thinking about that, he wondered, how could it be that I could go back to school because I can't raise my hand, I can't turn a page, I can't take notes, and yet I've got strengths and I need to learn how to use my other strengths. And he had this goal set. Well, his mom, Judy, moved from She was a teacher, she left her job down in Florida to go to California and to take her son to every class, to take notes for her son, and to help him through. And so she and he went through college and then grad school, and this was the graduation ceremony, it's a picture. And they called Marty's name, and she got ready to wheel him across the stage and as they announced him in his graduation, they also said that they had a special announcement, that there was the faculty, the board, the staff, had um, determined that they wanted to give an honorary degree, an honorary master's degree to the mother, who had sat through every class, who had studied for every test, and had helped her son get through school. He faced incredible adversity, and yet there was this moment of great joy and um, it involved a partnership, a helping. Now, Paul was in great adversity. He had goals also that seemed like they were not going to be met. Um, he, If you remember, Paul is sitting um, imprisoned as he writes this book to the church in Philippi. But he had... He had... Um, wanted to go to Rome for quite some time. He had actually been given um, a passion to do that. And in Romans, I want to read this to you so that you'll see what had been on Paul's heart. He said um, to the church there, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have had a harvest among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to wise and to the foolish. The Lord had given this God-given passion and desire for Paul to go to Rome, um, he wanted to evangelize. He wanted to encourage the brothers and sisters in the church that were there. but And he had gotten there, but things weren't working out the way he had imagined. He imagined he was out on a speaking circuit, and um, here he is in prison, chained to a guard. So he had these God-given dreams, but it wasn't looking the way his expectations, I'm sure, had... Um, looked because he had thought he was going to be out giving speeches. He was going to be out evangelizing, sharing the gospel. And what's happening is that he's sitting in prison and the church is out sharing the gospel. All right? So his end goal is being and what the Lord had put in him, but it's looking different. There's other people out doing the speaking circuit, so to speak. Now, some of them were doing it out of good motives, and some of them had been jealous of him. Maybe they were jealous they didn't want him coming into their area, but regardless, they were evangelizing. They were brothers and sisters in Christ, but maybe some of them were insecure and um, were trying to keep Paul away through their actions. So he he faced, that's personal adversity when you have those kind of conflicting thoughts and experiences, He also faced great adversity in his imprisonment. The Roman government had um, put him in jail, and he was facing trial. Now, their culture was one that was very much, they valued public honor. And so it would be most shameful and humiliating to have your honor, um, well, that you would be dishonored publicly. And so what they did to their prisoners is that they would march them through the city and they, the prisoners would maybe hang their heads, as you can imagine, that would be humiliating, and they'd make them lift their faces so that they would be publicly shamed. They'd have to look at people, looking at them and seeing them in chains. The Praetorium Guard were the bodyguards of the emperor. The emperor, remember, was they worshipped as a deity, a god. And so these were the bodyguards. They Probably some of them came from Philippi. And so the church in um, Philippi would be interested in hearing about the guard. These were elite soldiers. They say that there were 12 cohorts of maybe 1,000 each. Can you imagine? We think that we've got some secret service protecting our governmental leaders. They had um, 12 cohorts of about 1,000 each. They had a reputation for being beasts that um, if they were treated nicely, some of the early Christians have recorded that the nicer, if they tried to be kind to them, they just got more vicious. And so um, this is their reputation, and it's suspected that Paul was probably physically chained to a guard. These guards change every four hours, so they're on for four hours, and then they go do other responsibilities And so every four hours, a different guard, Paul's getting the opportunity, if you look at it as an opportunity, to witness to one guard after another, for them to recognize and watch how he responds to adversity, all right? So he's facing this incredible situation. You know, if you think about it, there's no privacy, there's um, this intimidation, there would be this attempt to wear down because they're fresh every four hours where, you know, the prisoner would need to sleep and so forth. And so whatever the guard is doing, Paul's going along. And, um, and so th- this is an incredibly difficult circumstance that Paul is there. And he's been there long enough. Remember, it took about six months. If this was written um, from Rome, it took about six months To get the news back to Philippi. So he had been imprisoned for quite a long time and it had been impacting. Um, There had been this influence of many, many guards that were trying to influence Paul and his attitude and perspective, but that he had the opportunity to influence. He was facing religious persecution. Now, we in this country don't necessarily face the religious persecution that was prayed about earlier in our prayers. Um, But certainly, there's religious persecution in the world. Headlines this week that the Coptic Christians, they were on their way to retreat and um, were ambushed and were killed. 29 people killed. Um, Read a note from um, our friends in Egypt that were asking, I read an email last night saying, please pray for us, we've had over 100 Christians in our country be killed since Easter. And it's very, very difficult to be a Christian in Egypt. There are other places in the world that it's very, very difficult people face um, being killed for their faith. We don't face that same um, persecution here. We have a religion, um, freedom of religion in our country constitutionally, and yet our culture keeps wearing against that. And so we saw that even, like, in Hobby Lobby. They've got a certain value. They don't want to provide health care for things that um, conflict with their values. And so they had to go all the way to the Supreme Court to try to defend that right. There's, um, you know, if we say we're Christians, sometimes in class, sometimes out in the community, oh, you believe that? You know, there's, there's, it may not be overt persecution, but some of us have faced that. And um, we'll face some sort of um, adversity because of our belief in Jesus Christ. We've all been given some sort of dreams. The adversity in our circumstances. We may not have been chained to a prison guard, but maybe our dreams, like Paul had this dream that he was going to be on a speaking circuit How have our dreams maybe been changed by sudden circumstances? I thought about that this week and wondered and thought, how many of us in our congregation have had health issues? Maybe have been homebound. We miss Alita and Kathleen, and um, we miss Jan Hermanson, we miss Donna, we miss others that haven't been able to be with us because of health circumstances. And so all of a sudden, People that were active in the faith, that were doing things within the community and the church, trying to share the gospel, and then all of a sudden, because of health reasons, they're not here. And so that changes, and that is a form of adversity that we face, and we have to figure out how are we going to deal with these circumstances. Sometimes it's an illness, and um, I see that Tommy and Anna slipped out, but you know, Tommy faced, all of a sudden he had... A l- infection in his leg this week And he had planned to baby To provide childcare for his son And you know all of a sudden Things are all Changed around in his life And he has to go to the hospital I talked to him Friday morning He was crawling He was in so much pain Read another note Others of you have had different health things That come up and all of a sudden We face this circumstance And it's changing what we're planning to do. And how do we respond when things happen? How do we respond when we get in a fender bender and all of a sudden, rather than doing what we were wanting to do, we're dealing with insurance claims or um, body shops and that kind of thing? Maybe our housing gets blocked. Maybe um, circumstances change and all of a sudden there's a relationship issue that just is really, really difficult. Tammy, you face that. And so in that place of adversity, in that place of difficulty, how do we respond? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, There's no better test of our faith than our reaction to adversity. There's no better test of our faith than our reaction to adversity. Is joy possible when we are in the midst of a difficult circumstance? Remember, joy is not a mood. It's not happiness. Happiness seems to be more tied to a circumstance. Joy is that state of mind, that settled state of mind that's characterized by peace. So can we have a settled state of mind and a peace that surpasses all understanding? I'm giving the um, answer away because I'm starting to quote scripture. But we can have the peace that surpasses all understanding if God is guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ. So let's learn from Paul. What can we learn from Paul so that we too can experience joy, even when we do face adversity of various types? The first thing is that he had a right view of God. God is sovereign. You notice that um, he doesn't have a pity party. There's not a sense of entitlement When he starts to give his description, remember, this is a letter to the Philippians because the church in Philippi was concerned about how was Paul doing? He was imprisoned. And so in this part of the um, passage, you're expecting in his letter for him to start telling how he's doing. How do you tell? How do you describe how you're doing when things are difficult? Look at what Paul does. He starts to speak about God. He starts to speak about God's intentions. He's looking for God sightings, and he's just naming them. Oh, well, I want you to know how I'm doing. This is actually, yes, I've got this circumstance. He's not denying that he's in a bad situation, but he's just saying, I want you to see that this is actually advancing the gospel. And so there's not a sense of entitlement with him because God has plans, and his ways are higher than our ways. And so... um, Paul is very much seeing that God is active and present in the midst of this very difficult circumstance. So he has a right view of God. He also has a very single-minded focus. He's about Christ and the gospel. And so you see that, well, you know, this actually has served to advance the gospel. Now I want you to know that the gospel going to the whole guard and then the guards letting the other people know. So it's spreading outside of these um, the governmental leaders and um, security personnel. And the church is all about the gospel and the church is empowered and the church is fearlessly proclaiming the gospel. And so the good news of Jesus, he's all about Jesus and all about that good news being um, shared with others. Paul is single-minded focus on Jesus and the mission that's been given to share the good news all the way out, all the way across the earth. What matters is that Christ is preached. So we learn that he's got a right view of God and his sovereignty, that he's single-minded focused, and he's got a right view of discipleship. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me. Remember, taking up a cross, it means that something's going to die. We're going to need to die to ourselves, die to our own thoughts and wishes. We're going to, to me, to live as Christ. Right? So God has plans and purposes, and this is, in part, it's going to work on me. It's going to work on sanctification. You remember that word, sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ? And so... Our old life was maybe anxiety and trying to control things. Our new life in Christ, we're praying and we're trusting that God's gonna is in control and he's going to show us the way. So we're not going to try to manipulate or control the circumstance. We're going to pray and see, Lord, what's your purpose and plan in this? It's a different way of living. It's living a crucified life. We can't expect denying ourselves. We can expect that there will be suffering if we're following Jesus. But we're not suffering alone. A right view of discipleship is that we're in community. And you see that Paul is writing to this church family in Philippi that they love him. He loves them. He's thinking about what's their best. You know, he doesn't have any control over whether he's going to live or die. But he gives this little analysis of, well, what would I rather? Would I rather die and go and be with the Lord, or would I rather live? And what does he end up saying? I believe it would be best for me to continue living so that we can encourage and I can encourage you. And so he's other focused. He's loving others. He's loving God. He's putting others before himself. He loves the church. The church loves him. God puts us in community. When we're going through a difficult circumstance, We are not going it alone. The Lord is with us, and he puts us in the church family so that we go through these things together. And that helps Paul to have the right attitude. Paul trusts God's love. He says in verse 19, What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance or my vindication. What Paul's actually doing there, he's quoting from Job and he's quoting from Psalms. In Psalm 34, this is this is part of what he's thinking and processing and actually speaking some quotes from. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Paul wasn't sitting in prison with no fear. Fear would be tempting him, but he was able to resist that because he looked to the Lord. It says in Psalms, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And remember, Paul said, I'm I'm trusting that I'm going to be... um, Let me find my place here again. I'm trusting that I'm going to have courage so that I won't be ashamed. Let me see. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. You see, he is remembering the stories of old. He's applying that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when I go through this difficult thing... I'm not going to be ashamed. They're trying to put shame on me by marching me around and publicly humiliating me. I have no shame because I'm in Jesus Christ, and I represent the kingdom. Tim Keller says our theology changes from concept to faith when it's lived. Think about that. We can believe things about God intellectually and have a concept, but it turns to faith when we're living it out. When we're sitting in the midst of adversity, whatever it is, it's do we have faith is actually what are we living in the moment? If I'm sitting here saying, oh, oh, I don't know how the finances are going to work out because I've got to pay for that bumper that's got to get the dent out of it. Oh, how's it going to work? I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. Well, is that faith, folks? Or is that fear and that's worry and anxiety? Or it would be, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out, but you do. And I'm asking that you'd provide and that you'd also show me what you're doing in this circumstance. Lord, is there somebody at the car repair shop that needs the gospel? Or do you have me doing this in, in this way today because you've got a different plan? What are we doing, God? What are we doing together to let Jesus be known in the world? Do you see the difference? It's are we living our faith? Is our faith activated? Are we living what we say we believe? How do we do it? Because we know we're grounded in God's love. We have a certain hope that he's going to either save me from this circumstance or he's going to save me through it. So he, Paul He was either going to be saved and vindicated from it or God was going to use this circumstance to bring him home. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was in a win-win situation. He's either going to continue living and he's going to be vindicated and released from prison and he's going to go on with the mission of God on earth in his life or he gets to be face-to-face with the Lord. It's a win-win situation. When we look at different circumstances in our lives, do we recognize that we are in a win-win situation? If I'm in this situation that's difficult, yes, it may be difficult, but God is with me, and by the work and prayer, the Holy Spirit and the prayers of people, that his grace is sufficient and he helps me and he's going to accomplish his purposes, or he's going to take me home. We're in a win-win situation. I had this modeled for me by a co-worker. She had um, chronic leukemia, and it became such that she needed to start having chemotherapy. She loved the Lord. She um, loved to pray with people. She had ideas all the time for, like, a women's retreat. She would bring me notes and, like, oh, I think this would be a great talk, and she was a good speaker. And so anyway, so she had all these visions and dreams about how the gospel would be shared and how people would be built up in their faith. And um, she also had children that got married and started having grandchildren. And so she just had a very full life and a vibrant life. And this leukemia started to um, raise its ugly head again. And so she modeled for me that God is sovereign. You know, she, while she prayed and asked that we would pray for her release from that, she also said, would you pray that God's purposes would be fulfilled In this, And so she would go down for her chemotherapy, and she had a prayer group that would pray. And you would think she would be asking us to pray for, um, you know, the effects of the chemo and that she wouldn't get sick and so forth, which we did pray for those things. But what her request was is, would you pray for who I'm going to be assigned to? Because when she went for chemo, they were sitting in chairs pretty close to each other for sometimes five or six hours at a time. And she'd say, would you pray for divine appointments? Would you pray for who I'm going to be seated by and that I could share the gospel? And she'd come back and give reports time after time of I got to pray with somebody, I got to share some scripture, um, I got to bring some encouragement to a family, whatever it was. So she was on mission. She had Jesus' focus in her chemo treatments. When her mobility got impaired, Paul was sitting in prison Remember the young man was sitting in the wheelchair at the beginning in the introduction story. But there can be joy in our faith no matter what the circumstances. When her circumstances started to curtail her to home because she didn't have the energy anymore to go out, she started making prayer books for all of her grandchildren. She started writing down her favorite scriptures, kind of like in a scrapbook that she was going to give each of the kids, So that she wrote her favorite scriptures, she wrote prayers for them, she put in samples of like her favorite written prayers, so that they might know that, okay, this is a prayer when you're scared, this is a prayer for um, when you need God to be your provider, this is a prayer for, you know, she had these different prayers, she filled up these scrapbooks for her kids and grandkids, so that she could share the gospel with them and her faith in the gospel and she imagined long after perhaps she was going to be gone if the Lord saved her through this circumstance. She loved to go out and share the gospel. And yet now she couldn't go out and do it. She was contained at home. So what would she do? She would pray through the um, worship folder, you know, what's going on this week in our church's life. And she would spend her time praying. That other people would be effective and bold and fearless in sharing the gospel. Did she sit there and begrudge the fact that she couldn't go? She was sad about it. But she had a vibrant ministry. And you know what? God wants to do that. Same thing with us. And we're getting ready to have a prayer training coming up June 11, right? Teo, Vic, Chess, June 11. There's a prayer training to learn more about how to pray for the ministries of this church. Each one of us, even, you know, those that can't come regularly, we're hoping to bring them for that night so that they can be even better equipped to pray from home. When we're in the midst of adversity, we can look at it and and have a pity party, or we can say, God, you're sovereign. I don't like this. It's okay for us to tell the honest truth. Paul actually was very candid but he looks at it and he says, God has a plan, and to live as Christ and to die is gain. What matters is that Christ is preached. We can have joy in our faith because Jesus is our reward. And so when we surrender and submit to him, we'll follow him, no turning back, no turning back. It is a serious commitment, and it may involve persecution but we can be certain that if he allows it, he's working it for good and for his glory. And that, dear friends, is what we want. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you are with us in every situation. Lord, that you see every trial, that you hold every tear, and that you have good purposes, Lord. And I pray that you would strengthen us to look for you Lord, that you would strengthen us in every situation and give us a settled peace of mind that comes from knowing that we're in Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.